Well, our next guest is a well-known face to the Mayo soccer scene. Paul Byrne has been a coach in this county, nurturing the best talents of schoolboy footballers in the land of the green and red. But now he has become a familiar voice in the county's podcasting scene. His new show, In the Huddle Sports Talk, has been a lockdown sensation with some of Mayo's most renowned names, such as Stephen Cohen, Ryan O'Donoghue and Noe Baba, to name but a few. Paul, firstly, thank you very much for joining us here on CRCFM. And if I can begin by asking, where did the idea for the podcast come from? It was it was done on a whim, really. To be honest, it, there wasn't there wasn't a, a major thought process put into it. It was just, I think it was just before Christmas, and um, uh, I don't know. I was getting home at five o'clock, and you know, and Christmas was coming. The lockdown was on again, and I don't know. I was just thinking of something to do. I've always uh, an odd time. I have little uh, ideas to have little pro- do little projects. I've probably done a few over the, the years, and. And uh, it, I was just reading a book, I think, one day, and I was reading about somebody who did a podcast, and it just entered my head to say, oh, I didn't know what was involved in it. I didn't really know too much of the makeup, how to do it. And uh, so I started Googling a few things, spoke to uh, my son here, and, you know, just a little con- I, I And I know I would have contacts, so I knew I had a starting point to, to, to work up, really. And... <laughs> There was no major thinking behind it, really. As I say, it was really done on a whim. And I just said, uh, looked into it, Googled a few things, looked what I needed to have, buy. Uh, so I said, well, if I buy this piece of equipment, I'll have to do it. And that's what made me do it in the end, really. So, yeah, I said there was no major thought process behind it. It was very much done on a whim, like. A good a reason as any and I think with the contact list that you have the, some of the names that you have had on if I can begin with you know the Mayo footballers Stephen Cohn and Ryan O'Donoghue am I correct in saying you would have known them from their time playing soccer here in County Mayo? Yeah yeah I would have known them probably from they were ages about 12 13 years of age so I would know them I would know their parents I'd know a good bit about their backgrounds as such and um so yeah, they were a good starting point for me to begin with. Um, I knew they were well able to speak. I knew they had good maturity levels. Um, actually, I was I wasn't surprised, but I was still pleasantly surprised how much they could really speak. You know, they were really grounded individuals and very mature. They've always been very mature for their for their age, even from a young age. So. It was great to get them on, and as I say, as you probably well known, Queen, you get somebody who can speak well, it just takes the pressure of you to present, like you know. And to be fair to Stephen and Ryan, they were excellent. They were excellent first guests to have on. Brilliant. It's quite clear from the podcast how kind of open and candid they are speaking to you. It's a very kind of familiar tone that you have with each other. When you were coaching them here in Mayo, was it obvious that they had incredible? abilities and we're going to go on to be as successful as they have been yeah well you never know because as the as each year goes by it's, it's it's difficult to know as they grow and develop particularly from when i began to it was 12 13 uh probably stephen was quite and he alluded to, to it in his in his own in the podcast that he was quite well developed he was tall he was very physical and 
uh, and Ryan was the actually the opposite. He was very small and uh, had to fight for his corner, but he was very good at doing it. Um, but you would know, you would have an idea about individuals if they're going to succeed probably more in life than maybe more on the sporting field. You would look at, you know, particularly Stephen, I would look at Stephen and go, whatever Stephen's going to turn his hand to, as time goes by, he's going to be very good at it. And he's going to be a well-respected individual. And Ryan had this, has a passion about him, has a desire about him. And, you know, Ryan's going to succeed in what he wants to succeed in. So, yeah, you, you, you would see little traits in them that would say he's going to be good at something. Now, it might not be sporting. You might, they might not reach the, the, reach, the far reaches of sporting that they want to reach to, but uh, you just know about individuals, their character and their traits, that they'll be good at something. Is that something you feel that you would have had a, an insight into as a coach that, you know, whether it was the athletic ability or just the maturity levels of the ones that you would have been coaching, similar to to another gentleman you don, Noe Baba, who has succeeded in making a career for himself as a, as a soccer player? Yeah, well, Noah, Noah had, um, from a young age, had huge physical attributes within his age groups. And he had to be pushed up age groups just to make him work a bit harder. But what I would say about Noah Baba, an amazing individual person. Um, from from a young age, he's, he's and very very similar to Stephen actually, Stephen Cohen. Just good habits, just general good manners. Wants to do well, wants to succeed. Um, like. He'll, he'll be there training, he'll carry the footballs up, he'll carry the bibs, he'll carry them down, he'll come ask questions. Just just good personalities, huge personalities. That's not to say somebody, that, particularly at the younger ages, 12, 13, 14s, they, they could be very still, very quiet and very, might not have no physical aspects on them yet. That's not to mean that they won't succeed, that they're just, it's just a, maybe a longer, a longer route for them late developers as such. So, um, but Noah would have had a, a physical advantage, but that wasn't taken away from his incredible football and talent, which I have to say was at, because he went on, he he went on, he probably captained the Irish under 15s, under 16s, under 17s, 19s, uh, I think he had a, a small involvement with the Irish under 21s and obviously went into the professional game as well. So, I mean, you just don't get by just on your physical attributes. Um, that's what, you know, he had, he was a superb footballer and with superb attitude. And it's still that way, still that way anytime I talk to him, that's the way he comes across. Very good person, like, you know. Yeah, that certainly shone through, even the way he was discussing his potential career after football, how he's studying, reading, keeping abreast of, uh, of of what he wants to pursue as a passion after the sport as well. Is that something you think comes from their home, comes from more of a how they were brought up and nurtured as opposed to just being driven individuals? Um, I'm sure with a lot of individuals, yeah, there, there would be a background to them. 
possibly will send them that route. Yeah, listen, a lot of people are very lucky to have uh, some backgrounds, a very good, very good home life, um, good parents who will set them on the road, good pathway. And then there's others who have to fight their corner a bit. They, they might not have the, the same background as the ones I've just mentioned. And yeah, every individual is different and they find their own, they find their own pathway eventually. But uh, yeah, like the home life can have, can have a, an impact on where you're going to end up eventually. Yeah. In terms of the talent that is within the county borders, we all know the successes of the Gaelic football team being consistently one of the most impressive within their sport. Does that make it more difficult for other sports to prosper within Mayo and then have successful leading lights come to consider the likes of soccer? The only real Mayo connection within international soccer scene is the likes of Kevin Kilban. Yeah, but I think, I suppose from the soccer side of it, I think they've had, I can probably only, because I probably have this knowledge, I would say, like, I'm trying to go back and I'm probably going back probably 14 years, 15 years maybe, and I'm, I'm going to talk about male and female. I think there's, I, I, I'd have to check my records again somewhere, but uh, I think there was about 35 players male players who had represented Ireland, either at underage or junior international or even disability teams. And I think there was about 25 female players. And they're just approximate amounts now I'm giving you, but it was in and around that. And I remember do I remember writing them down uh, to someone a number of years ago, how many players from the region had play, played represented their country and even they I should say were shocked how many people from the region had represented it's a huge amount now the next bit is, is you can play under 15 under 16 under 17 under 19 under 21s um, for Republic of Ireland but then obviously trying to get into the professional game is obviously it's very challenging and uh, I suppose We've always looked to the UK. That's that's where you go and play professional football as such, and and it's very difficult, and it's even more difficult now because you know the English Premiership is well, I don't know how how many years now. It's it's a worldwide market, and it's very you know it's well documented how difficult it is for Irish players to uh, get in there. But there's there's a few knocking around. I mean, you've Aaron Connolly from Galway, you've Ronan Manning from Galway, so it's it's never impossible. Conor O'Malley was there playing professional football until he he retired from the game. And then you had Ronan Murray. Ronan Murray was over there for a number of years. Uh, with Rory Keaton, who's just come back to Gore United. He's he was playing in there. I think when people think that the professional game, they think they're just about the premiership. But if you play championship, League One, League Two, or even the National League in England, they're tough leagues, they're tough places to go and play. Um, I think the FBI is such really, you know, have to try and implement. Uh, I'm, I wouldn't say more competitive league here because it's very competitive and it's very well run and there's better coaches in it now than there probably ever was. Um, but uh, I suppose the more viable business products is probably um, 
needs to be put in place so clubs can prosper a bit more. And um, but I mean, if you look, I'm only take Sligo Rovers for instance, like the number of Mayo players that are playing in Sligo Rovers, and they're they're professional. They're, they're a professional club, so there's players in there who are deemed professional. But I, I think people don't deem it; they don't look at it that way. But they are professional. That's their profession. David Corley is a professional footballer for X amount of years now, 10, 11 years. Yeah, that's very true to say. At Galway United, have had that slight resurgence of Mayo stars. Rory Keating, you mentioned, and Bill Mullett's Gary Boylan, who's joined the ranks of John Caulfield there down at Eamon DC Park. Just with regard to the change of how Brexit will be impacting Irish young footballers' move toward the professional game, is there now a real call for us to have that fully fledging youth uh, setup that can make us actually train the brightest prospects of Irish soccer to the highest level without relying on another nation to do that for us? Yeah, well, I think that process is a, is, is been put in place for a few years now, but I think it's gonna. I, I actually, I what I'm hearing, I think it's going to be further improved. So the in the invent, I, I can only speak probably personally as well as as well as because I would have three boys and they're not boys anymore than men, but um, they've they've all played in the national league. So when the under nineteen national league was put forward first, my oldest lad, Connor, would have played in it. He went straight into it and it was a godsend for him. He he loved it. Tough games every week, good coaches, world school teams playing against each other. Became a right tactical game. Uh, so it enhanced his game, kept him in the game. Same with my second lad. He went to Sligo Rovers. He had a couple of seasons there as well. Uh, loved it. And my youngest lad is currently playing with Sligo Rovers now at the moment with the senior team and but you have under 13 under 15 under 17 under 19s uh i mean if you go back 10 years there was none of those national leagues were in place so and i know people can be impatient but i can only speak personally my my, my lads were going down sligo rovers twice a week training uh game at the weekend so you're up and you're up they're on three days Three days a week and they probably didn't have time to do anything else because they had schooling at the same time so they were maybe doing maybe junior sir and definitely leaving sir so they have a choice once they get to a certain age and you know that age can be picked at random but you know if i was looking at an age i'd be saying you know you get to 14 15 16 you need to be making choices and what you what sport is probably the, the route you want to go down now i i think What's going to happen is that some, oh, it's happening already. It's some of the under 17s and under 19 teams may be going three or four times a week training now around the country, certain clubs. So it's probably easier for certain areas rather than rural areas. But uh, I know that's that area is going to get enhanced. And uh, I think huge, there's been a huge improvement in underage soccer players uh, within the country over the last number of years because I, I, I because I, I had a slight involvement and I had seen it at first hand and I've seen the changes that's happened over the 10 years. So huge, huge improvements been made and I think there's going to be further improvements made in the coming years. Are we still off the mark in terms of the comparison between the UK and within continental Europe? 
yeah, the, 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 there's no doubt because they've been doing it for years, and they're always upgrading their own program. And I mean, I suppose if you, uh, I suppose if you go to the UK and you go to any any club in England or even Scotland and Wales, even uh, not even because you have Cardiff and Swansea, professional, usually professional clubs, and they would be they'd be training four or five days a week from a very young age, like probably from eight years upwards. And they probably, a lot of them will probably not play any other sports, which is, and Ireland is very unique in a way because Gaelic football, hurling, uh, very prevalent rugby, you know, it's, and it's a small market really for, for the smaller population really to try and everybody's looking for the same players a lot of the time, like, you know. Does that make it really difficult for, Ireland to succeed on the international footballing scene. I remember Shane Keegan, who's the head of Dundalk FC now, stating that he had won a Kennedy Cup with what was Kilkenny's entire uh, full backline playing alongside Sean Maguire, who's at Preston North End now. That they obviously chose the path of towards playing hurling. That is unique, as you mentioned, to this country, and with the small population and maybe just focusing in on Mayo as well, where Gaelic football is the this was the most dominant sport. Have you witnessed it drawing people away from the options of making a professional career? Yeah, yeah. And that would be, you know, within within certain families, that's you know, Gaelic football would be number one choice. And that's where you want to go. But you know, I, I know people who who come from those backgrounds and they want to have a go at soccer they want to give it they want to give it a run but it, it is a tough business to get into you know to get to the professional level is it's hugely difficult hugely difficult and there's lots of drop-off points and you know you have to look at sport as well as uh you know everybody wants to talk about the professional game and the elite side of it which is for i don't know what percentage a very small percentage of people reach that so the majority of people who want to play sport well, one with people that they know all the time. So, you know, friends, mates, uh, want to work in their own locality, you know, and, and, and that the GAA offered that, that's a, that's, that's a huge draw for people like, you know, and, uh, what goes with it to get into the professional game in, in the league of Ireland is hugely difficult and you have to fight for it and you have to put time into it and you'll, Fine, you'll get knockbacks. It's how you react to knockbacks and can you bounce back? You might have to, you know, just so if you try and you're playing with Sligo Rovers under 19s and you don't get a professional contract with Sligo Rovers with this senior team, then what are the options open to to go forward? Well, well, I might try Longford, I might try Galway, I might try, and if they don't get into that, then what are their options? Junior, junior league football locally. And di- different leagues are, are quite in different standard, but I have to say the Mayo League is probably junior league is, is quite strong. It's quite competitive. Um, some good people working in it. Other leagues might not be as as good. Uh, and then they might just say, well, the local GA club and go back to them and I'll start playing and they go back into it and they enjoy it. And it's, I won't say pressure free all the time, but it's less pressure than trying to get into the first team for Sligo Rovers or Longford Town or Go United or Shelbourne or Grey Wanderers or whoever. So, you know, there's there's two ways of looking at it as such. 
I was reading the excellent champagne football book Over the Christmas by Mark Tighe and in it there was a, a few pieces about uh, John Delaney and how he planned on investing and focusing FAI attention on some GAA strongholds like Mayo and Curry. Do you believe that was to irk the GAA locality within those communities or perhaps to unearth the talent that was within the likes of Mayo and Curry? I would I would never say it would irk anyone. Uh, it was a coordinated plan by I think it was the technical director at the time. I think it was Paki Bonner and there was a guy called Richard Fahey. It was the assistant technical director. And it was it was never to work. The, the GEA would ne- you know it's not going it's always going to be there. You, they can't go away irking it. They have to try and improve their own structures. Can't think about anybody else's structures. They only can do what they feel is right. And, you know, there was, as you say, Mayo Kerry, but they actually put development offices into every county, every region. And it, and the aim was to grow the game there, was to unearth players and uh, and not, I suppose, over the years, the international team, uh, people say, but it was predominantly Dublin players that were always in it in terms of the underage teams anyway. And so this was a coordinated plan and that's, that was only part of it. It was, it was you know, the, that's the elite side of it, is trying to unearth players. And I think we were, uh, I, I, I think we were quite successful on that point. I think Mayo, because uh, I would have lose how many international, underage internationals there was. And that happened around the country. There was good people working around the country and they were trying to designate people. Oh, we'll speak about Ryan O'Donoghue. Noah Barber was an obvious one, but Ryan O'Donoghue, Ryan O'Donoghue was... Within that, he had a he played for the under eighteen national team at schools level. Uh, I mean, I, I, if you gave me enough time, I'd probably think of loads of players top of my head straight away who's who's played and but may not be playing now. Um, like David Corley played, Ronan Murray played, you know, Ryan Connolly played, oh, this, this, this Tom King, oh, David Joyce. Um, oh, I, 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 if I keep naming players, I'm, I'm going to forget a few because there's, there's so many. But no, it was there to grow the game, for one, at grassroots level, uh, which, I mean, you, you, you spoke about champagne football, which was obviously the John Delaney era in terms of what was happening at the top level. And, you know, that's what everybody sees. And... Uh, I mean, I worked for the FEI for 14 years and I, the, the good people that, that you meet in it and that, that works at the ground, grassroots level and, and at the underage international level, and it's hugely impressive people. I, I, can't, I couldn't speak any higher of them. But even the grassroots side of it, like we probably didn't sell it enough. I, I can only tell you that within my region and other regions that, I don't know, primary schools program, when I, I think when I joined the FEI, I think, used to be 40, 50 schools, and there was two teachers who used to do it, Harry Canning and John Culhan, and, and the work that they used to do was Trojan. And uh, and then we grew, we've grown that to 110 schools competing in it, and, the, and that was just the primary schools. And then we had futsal. Uh, we, we did more summer camps. So numbers were, were, were going through the roof in every region uh, of a lot of grassroots broke programs and that was the reason it wasn't to work anyone it was to grow the game in all those aspects one it was always to 
grow the grassroots, but also find other players that maybe can play in an elite level. Uh, I think I I would look at huge positives there. I mean, the, the stuff, the FAI got bad press because of individuals at the top end of the, the game, really. That didn't work. I wonder, not didn't work on the ground, but weren't working with every day, weren't doing the stuff, I suppose. We were doing as such, which, you know, was difficult at the time. You, you know, you don't get much praise or you're not looking for praise, but people don't understand the work that was enhanced uh, and seeing them. You know, we did programs that were to do with disability. We did programs that were to do with unemployed, which I'm probably as proud of than anything, to be honest. They were, they were huge, good, huge programs and loved them, loved doing them. So, no, it was not, nothing to do with irking anyone. It was to grow the game, and that's that's what anybody's role should be. And finally, Paul, with an eye toward next weekend's international break and fixture against Belgrade, do you perhaps see all of that work that was done at the grassroots level coming to a head now with the Stephen Kenny crop of Republic of Ireland players? There are more homegrown Irish players involved in this setup than ever before is that a testament to that work that was put in at grassroots level down through the last few years difficult one to answer because I think Stephen at the moment is trying to implement a a playing style Uh, and to be fair to most of the players that that would be in the squad now they would have come through a system within the FEI anyway and so they would have worked on the underage international coaches who all play the same way. As I say, I mean, I speak of Jason O'Donoghue who looks after the Irish under-15s. I speak of uh, Conor O'Brien who looks after the 17s. Paula Sam who looks after the under-16s. Uh, Conor O'Brien who looks after the 19... No, not 19. Conor O'Brien, 17, sorry. And then you've got um, Tom Mohan in the under-19s and Jim Crawford and under 21s. Now, if anybody would tell you that's dealt with those individuals and work with those individuals, they're, they are top class organizers, coaches, and actually gentlemen as well. And they've implemented so the homegrown players would know what they're going to be coming into. And Stephen has the same ideas. Uh, Stephen is probably coming in at the, probably the worst time. The things I think he's been dealt bad luck at the moment, uh, in previous games. You can see a change in the playing style maybe compared to previous managers. Um, I suppose the international stage can be a ruthless, professional game can be ruthless. I mean, he's going to be dictated by results. In the end, um, I, you know, is there, you know, you would like to say there's going to be a bit of patience with it. And, but again, I say results will be dictated, you know, and I, I, he hasn't named his squad yet. I haven't seen the squad. I don't know who's fit to play or, you know, and again, he might be dealt a bad hand, you know, uh, you know, we don't know who's going to be fit, who's not going to be fit. And, you know, and, you know, Stephen strikes me as a very pragmatic manager who has good ideals and, but you just don't know. It's, just don't know. It's the tough games we're going into. It's not going to be an easy game. You know, if you said you'll take a point against Serbia, you'd be saying that'd be a good result. 
just popped into my head. I, would you have come across the 17-year-old La Liga player, John Joe Patrick Finn? He's kind of taken uh, some of underage Irish football by storm. Jim Crawford has been in contact with him to join the Irish setup. His father was from Ballyhonis, I believe. He seems to have visited uh, Mayo during the summer months a few times a year. And would you have ever come across him or his father or have a connection to know maybe something more about him? I did. Yeah, I did. I met I met the parents and uh, him, uh, Don Joe himself and the younger brother was with him as well at the time. Yeah, I met them in Kilchamarnock's pitch, uh, Kilchamarnock, and inviting them down. We had a summer camp running and I think he came down and yeah, I was introduced to them and they played for an hour or two there while we were there and kicking the ball around and um, I seen him play then at uh, I think he played for Salt Hill Devon as an invitational player in the Galway Cup years ago. So yeah, I've seen small bits of him. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think his father's passed away since actually. So uh, yeah, there's, there's been there's been I had to try and make contacts when because he came, his name cropped cropped up a few years ago, I actually made the FBI aware myself that this fella here and it was followed up with but he was very young at the time, he was actually at the Real Madrid, I don't know was it Real Madrid Academy or was it a development I, I have no idea um, but he was with Real Madrid some some shape of Real Madrid Academy um, and also, you know, when he's moved to Getafe then and yeah, I spoke to Tom Mohan Tom, Tom Mohan uh, uh, a number of weeks ago, he, he called me about him, like you know, and he thought I'd seen more of him than I had. Uh, and if I had, he would have been 12, 13, 14 years of age at the time. So I said, Listen, anybody who's getting on the bench at 17 in the La Liga, uh, you know, must have something about them, you know. So, yeah, I don't know, I don't know where uh, he can, I think he can qualify for Ireland, he can qualify for England, he can qualify for. Mother's from Cameroon. Cameroon, yeah. Yeah, I think it's Cameroon as well. So, and obviously Spain. So, yeah, he's 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 got his options open to him. Like, so I, I don't I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything since. I know that that's contacts being made from the Irish side of it. So, yeah, I don't you know. I don't know. That, that, there's been a few from Spain actually. There was there was a God. What when was it now? There was a lad playing for the Irish under-15s in the international tournament in, well, it was in Westport and Casabar. I was going to say last year, but time has gone fly by. It could be two years ago now. Uh, there was a guy from, oh, what Spanish club did he play for? I can't remember. Was it Caden McLaughlin at Villarreal? Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Caden McLaughlin, yeah. So I think we We'll have to get Noe Baba on the on the phone to to John Joe Patrick Finn to yeah 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 I don't think Noe would have any problems of doing that actually yeah so uh, yeah he'd sell it quite well to be fair to Noah. 